Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Thanks for joining the show the, uh, today. Uh, with me is Chase. Uh, Chase, uh, good to be here. I'm, you'll be by yourself next week because I'll be uh, out of town. Yeah, good to be here. And uh, I will be by myself. I, I'm going to see if our financial planner, Harrison, can join us. I think he said he's free next week. So he may be uh, joining me for the whole show instead of just part of the show. Oh, that'd be good because then he can answer, answer financial planning questions throughout the show. Uh, and still do the, the normal show and everything else. So that, that'd be good. Hopefully you can do that. Yep. So, all right. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, we will be taking your calls probably about, uh, we open the phone lines in about 15 minutes. Uh, here's the phone number. If you want to be ready to, uh, ask questions on what you have, you got that unbiased, no strings attached, formal opinion about what you're looking at buying the portfolio. And this is a time when you really want to be looking because it's a crazy market out there. Should you buy? Should you sell? Should you hold? That's what we look at. We try to look at the fundamentals of what you're you're looking at there and try to point in the right direction. Phone number's here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And that will get you through, as I said, for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. But let's talk about the labor market. Uh, last week, data for the JOLTS report uh, came out. Uh, in May, the labor market remained strong as there were still, I love this number, 11.25 million job openings. This far outweighed those counted as unemployed as that stood at 5.95 million people. Yeah, and this means there are still about 1.9 openings per available worker. The quits weight... Quits rate, excuse me. Also it's hard to say sometimes. Quits weight, yeah, yeah. Quits rate also declined, but it still stood at 4.27 million for the month of May. While both data points have fallen from recent record highs, overall, I still believe the labor market remains strong when you're looking at this JOLTS report. And again, I'm going to point this out: before COVID, very rare to see a quits number above four million. Yeah. So we're still handedly <clears throat> above that level, and. That is still a positive because, again, we talk about people don't quit their jobs unless they, many times, they don't quit their jobs unless they have another job potentially lined up and they feel comfort in being able to quit their job. You're not just going to quit your job and be like, oh, my gosh, I can't find another job. I'm broke. Yeah. I can't I can't afford things. Most people don't quit their jobs at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing, too, that uh, that means, I mean, we, we know that we could be going to slow down the economy, perhaps a recession. Um it's going to be a different, I, you know, I, I, I might be going ahead here. I don't know if I talked about this or not, but that it's different now because when you have a job and you have the potential to get another job, if you lose your job, you're not going to cut back on your spending to, I'll say, enhance the recession. You're probably going to complain about higher prices. You're going to complain about this, but you are still going to be spending because especially, as you said, the quits rate People feel very good about their job, and that's an important thing when it comes to recession. Yeah, and I think it's really just the idea of inflation is, is really what's killing people. And we've talked a lot about this potential recession, and it's 
I think, completely inflation-driven. What I mean by that is, is just the matter of fact that spending is not growing as fast as inflation. Spending is not becoming dented necessarily, but it's just not growing as fast as the, the prices are. But there's a lot in the works, I think, that it, that can bring down prices and bring down inflation. When you when you look at you know energy prices not climbing as fast as they have over the last few months and even pulling back, you talk about shipping costs now becoming reduced. You talk about one thing is still the ports are still actually a little bit congested on, on the railways in, in particular, being able to get the containers from the ports to the railroad to the, the end consumer, yep. there are still some congestion points, but it's not as bad as it was. So as these supply chain kinks start to work themselves out, you're not going to have as much of the supply-driven inflation that we've been seeing. So there's still positives out there, but the big thing is, and we keep talking about this, and we have the job numbers, but the labor market is is still strong enough that I don't see a major recession. Yeah, and and, and that's so important. And, and the thing, too, that we, we look at is that they're starting to see warehouses that are getting filled with products and stuff, which will bring down prices. And I want to be clear on people. We're not saying that inflation is going to re- reverse Yep. We're saying it's going to slow down and come down. And we, we've talked maybe 4 to 6%, depending. And, and again, we get data all the time. So so that's why we can say one thing a month ago. We get new data. We're going to change what we say because we saw something new. We're always watching the data. But but I, I think you'll start seeing, I, I, I believe this is what, July, I think around September, you start seeing, oh, not these high numbers for inflation, which will make people, again, feel better. Especially, keep in mind, they, they've got a job. Uh, they're also, they have, I think they're still, when I say, is it $18 trillion still in liquid money that consumers have? So it's not going to be a major recession. And I've seen some people on TV say that, like, where are you getting your data from? I just don't understand it. And I mean, the big thing too, I look at is leverage. Yeah. And, and leverage is what causes crisis. And, and that's what caused the crisis in 2008, 2009 was the, the amount of leverage that was in the real estate market. That's what brought it down. You had, you know, we always talk about the liar loans and... The, the credit swaps and, and, and all these like derivative products and so forth. That's what really was the reason for the collapse. There's nothing like that that I can see right now. I mean, you, you talk about the real estate market. People right. have so much equity in their homes, not over leveraged. If real right. estate prices were to pull back 10%, you're not going to have a bunch of defaults even. You're right. not going to have people losing their homes and having to have a, a bunch of foreclosures or anything of that nature. Stocks, I, I was looking at margin levels the other day, not out of the uh, norm. Hmm. So I, 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 ju- I just think that the, le- and the one area you saw leverage was cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> and we know what happened there, didn't yeah. we? <laughs> so it, but that wasn't widespread enough to to shock the economy. Right. So that, I, I, that's why I just think we're, we're going to be in a good spot, and especially with these employment numbers we saw yesterday. Yeah, let me, before I go employment numbers, since it's on my mind, I want to share with the, the listeners this, almost said viewers, listeners. Um, the other thing that's different too this time is normally going into recession, businesses are flooded with inventory that they have to cut prices to get it out. That's not the case this time. Because of the supply chain shortage, businesses aren't overloaded with inventory. Therefore, they don't have to cut their prices to get rid of it. Um, it is a positive for the yeah. business side. So therefore, also too, if they don't have to cut prices, won't cut their profits, they don't need to lay people off. I mean, this is going to be, I think, a very, I, I don't think it's even going to look much like a recession when we're past it. People say, oh, was that just the media talk about the recession? You know, so let's talk about the employment numbers. Uh, they, they did uh, come out. They did not disappoint. 
came out yesterday and yesterday and they provided further evidence for an economy that I believe will be okay. The establishment survey showed payrolls grew three hundred and seventy two thousand in the month of June, which blew past the estimate of two hundred and fifty thousand. Now the previous two months were revised lower by a total of seventy four thousand jobs, but overall I would say it was a good gain. The establishment survey is now just five hundred and twenty four thousand jobs lower than pre-pandemic levels. And if you look at the, the sector, uh, private sector, it actually was 140,000 payrolls higher than February 2020. Yeah, so nice to see they kind of jump above where we were finally, you know, right. in, uh, at the uh, before the pandemic, I guess is what I say. Yeah. And I, I want to be clear too, we, we said the economy will be okay. We keep talking about, you know, the recession is going to be mild. I want to be very clear. The economy is not booming. Right, know? that's right. <laughs> don't, 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 don't misunderstand us here. We think the economy is okay. And, yeah. and it's like, I, I'd give it like a, a C is where I'd give it. You're not failing. You're not doing great, but it's, it's moving along. And, and when we look at here to just uh, some other numbers, we also look at the, the household survey because there's two surveys. A lot of people forget that, again, there's there's two different data points or two different uh, reports that come out with the employment numbers. One's the establishment survey that you talked about. The other one's a household survey. And that showed unemployment unemployed persons now stood at 5.9 million, which is just slightly higher than the February 2020 level when it was 5.7 million. In two areas, got to point these out that remain troubling, are the labor force participation rate and wage inflation. The labor force participation rate still stands at 62.2%, which is below the February 2020 rate of 63.4%. We keep talking about inflation. One of the areas of issue is the labor shortage. We still need people to get back to work. If you get people back to work, that also helps with moving products around the country, helps with producing products. That would help ease inflation as well. So that is one area that continues to to struggle somewhat. And the other area too I talked about was the the wage inflation. It grew 5.4% last month. I'm saying, well, that's not bad, right? Yeah, well, that's, not, that's a good number. Yeah. That's a good number, but again, everything, you got to say, it never means nothing at all unless you have something to compare it to. Problem is, again, inflation is still 8% plus, and we'll get, I think, CPI numbers either this week or next week, so we'll, we'll see how that looked in the month of June and how that compared to the wage inflation of 5.4%. So real wages, again, aren't growing, and, and people, even though they might be making more money, can't afford the same amount of, of product and service that they, they were before. And, and one thing that we just talked about, too, is that we do see inflation slowing down to about, again, hopefully 4 to 6% as our, our prediction, which would then put people back in norm. If you have wage growth of 5.4%, oh, it's not too bad. If inflation's 4 to 6 and wage growth 5.4, you're, you're not falling behind. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's an, an important number to look at. Uh, also, too, let's talk about the, this is important on the stock market where uh, growth stocks versus value stocks uh, were big value investors uh, have been for many, many, many years. But uh, numbers in the first uh, six months of 2022 and for the first half of the year, growth stocks fell 25 com- percent compared with val- value stocks falling 12 percent. Now, pretty simple math here, but that's a gap of 13 percent, which is the widest in 20 years. I believe the difference in the next six months will be reduced, but still expect value to outperform growth stocks. And and one thing we have been seeing is that 10-year note's kind of been moving all over right. the place. And it appears, again, that 10-year note still is tied to those growth stock names. 
And when it goes down, the growth stocks outperform the value. I still think that the 10-year note, I think it closed somewhere around 306, 305. I know it went yeah. as high as 315. Um, and it did, I think, at one point go up to like 325. Yeah, it got pretty high before it pulled back. But, but after the jobs report, it like skyrocketed at 315 yeah. and it started to pull back a little bit. It seems that the growth stocks still do not <coughs> like that 10-year note. And again, it makes sense because you have to discount those future cash flows with a risk-free rate, which is generally the, the 10-year note. And those cash flows with higher interest rates down the road become a lot less attractive than they are with a lower interest rate. So that's why the growth stocks don't like it. And I, I still believe you're you're going to see higher interest rates. I don't think the 10-year note's done and it's going to go back to under 3% because we keep talking about this. The thing that has pulled the 10-year note down is fears over the recession. Right. Well, if the recession is, oh, that wasn't really a recession. <laughs> the 10-year note, I, I think you're going to see somewhere around 4 5%. And, and the other thing with, with growth stocks as well, and I, I, I caution people because growth means you're growing. Now, if you have a value stock that their their sales and earnings grew at, you know, 4%, okay, that's not a lot. But a growth stock, if they, and again, you, you, you're building off a higher number, so your percentage growth is going to be harder. If a growth stock comes in and they only grew at 6% better than value, but not Normally, they got to be above 10%. And I think that's when you'll see those valuations decline because right now there's still some growth stocks trading at 25, 30 times where value stocks are trading at 12 to 14 times. It will reduce that. And therefore, I think there could be more fall on your big high flyers uh, because they're still trading at uh, multiples that are too high. Well, and I'm not going to spend too much time because we, we, we talked a lot about this last week with the uh, the big five in the S&P 500 making yep. up the, the, the large portion there. But one thing I looked at this past week, and, and again, I'll just remind our listeners what the big five are. It's now Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, and Tesla. Well, if you average those top five companies forward PE multiples, so that's not looking at the last 12 months. Right. It's, again, looking at growth going <clears throat> forward their average PE is still over 30 times. Which is ridiculous. And they make yeah. up about 22% of the S&P 500. Right. This, again, it, it's expensive. And people, as much as you love Apple, you love Microsoft, you love Tesla, whatever. It's funny, we, we met with a lady yesterday, and she hates <laughs> Tesla. She works in auto glass <clears throat> and <laughs> did not like Tesla, did not have good things to say. And we can tell what she said. We just won't tell what company she works for. <clears throat> but she was saying how that you can't have the glass put into a Tesla you have to go through Tesla. I believe she said, correct me if I'm wrong these numbers, that it costs $200, but because you have to go through Tesla, they charge $1,800, and they use the same installers had you gone directly to the company. I don't remember the numbers. Uh, I didn't... I'm pretty sure those are the numbers. I yeah. didn't recall her giving yeah. us numbers. It was but, ridiculous, uh, like 1800 versus 200 Yeah, yeah so it, it limits your, your options, but... People already know we don't like Tesla, so I'm not going to harp on that. <laughs> thing is... And, 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 and the thing with Tesla is I... You know, again, it's a decent car. It's an electric car. I mean, it is a, a marvel, so to speak. We don't like the stock because we're afraid of people getting burnt on it with a, with a company. But, you know, too expensive. I have to say now, with a lot of the cars coming <clears throat> out, I don't even think Teslas are that cool anymore. <laughs> I When they first came out, they were, right. you know, they had the big screen in the middle. Well, it, it wasn't a... Uh, gosh, what was it? Didn't have a mode around it. And now all the other cars put big screens in the middle of theirs that are touch screens. And yeah. you know, Tesla's, I guess, is bigger, but I'm like, I don't <coughs> need a giant freaking screen <laughs> yeah. in my, my car. My screen's 36 yeah. inches big. <laughs> but I, I don't really like the Model 3 
personally, I don't think it looks very cool. I think it looks like a fishbowl on wheels. I think it. it yeah, you said that was surprised me. Yeah. I, I don't think they look that cool, and that's my personal opinion. I would never buy one. Right. But you look at a lot of these other. I mean, I look at like a Hyundai. They have that Genesis brand. Those are really, I think, yeah. sharp looking. There, there's so many cars out there now that they've really advanced the the body style and. I, I think they look good, and there's now so much more competition coming in. EVs, we're, we've talked a lot about that. And Cadillac's got some great cars coming out, like EV side. Yeah, and yeah. I, personally, I would never buy a Tesla. I, yeah. I don't. I don't think they're that cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I I could buy one if I wanted, but I don't want to. Yeah, I, yeah. So. so that's my my personal opinion yeah. on the car side, and we already know the valuation side is just ludicrous. So you got to be careful with these stocks. Be careful with the market. We've talked a lot about that, but it, it's not as safe as you think it is. No matter the name of a company that you're investing in, you have to know what you're paying for the earnings, the sales, book value, and the cash flow. All those valuations for those big five companies still stretched. Well, let's say in the car manufacturers. By the way, phone numbers, uh, lines are not going to open up. Uh, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. We'll take in your calls in just a few minutes here about what you want to talk about. Uh, you got equities or stocks that you're not sure if you should hold, buy or sell. That's what we're here for. Again, 833-288-0973. Staying with the, uh, on the car uh, theme here, Chase, uh, normally going into recession or slowdown, American car makers and their stocks get hit pretty hard. Uh, so far, that appears to be the case with falling stock prices. But if one looks deeper, investors should be less concerned this time around. In past recessions, car makers were stuck with large inventories of vehicles. They had to discount dramatically to move that inventory. And this can cause them to actually take large losses on that inventory, obviously, because you're not selling the cars for as good of a margin. And the thing we have to point out is that is not the case this time, is the demand may not even be met in a slowing environment due to the extremely low inventories. I mean, again, you still drive by these car dealerships. They're not flooded no. on the lots yeah. by any means. And, and another interesting point here to point out is that generally 40% of sales comes from buyers with incomes under $50,000 who are hurt the most in the slowdown in the economy. Today, that number has fallen to just 25%. It appears that two car manufacturers in the U.S. could be drastically underpriced here. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's pretty obvious which two they are. We're definitely. not going to tell you. you got to figure it out. Definitely but. <laughs> not Tesla. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but, but. Uh, Again, it's just showing the difference of the economy here. And when you hear in the media and other people talk about, oh, there's going to be recession and so forth, these are proof positive things that it's not going to be that bad because we talked about how in the past they were stuck with all this inventory and they, they had to sell it at, at you know, losing prices and hurt their profits, had to lay people off. Not the case this time with, with auto manufacturers. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be the case, as you kind of talked about with a lot of businesses as well. It's not just the auto side, but again, the, the economy is, is not as bad as I think a lot of people are talking about. And, you know, I, uh, I might get in trouble for this, but I want to point uh -oh. out, it, 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 people make it so political. Yeah. When, when, you know, Donald Trump was in office, Republicans, oh my gosh, this economy's on fire. Democrats, oh, the economy's not doing that good. Same thing right now, and and I think I know which way. I think most people know which way we lean, obviously. Yeah. But you know, a lot of Republicans nowadays too. It's like, the economy's terrible. It's not that bad, right? And it, it's you make it such a party issue when you know. Still look at the numbers, and I'm not advocating for 
the great job Trump did or the, uh, the great job Biden's doing. <laughs> it, it, it's just the economy right. is separate many times from the decisions that the, the people in political office are making. And you can still have a good economy and not have a party in office that, that you agree with. Right. And, and as a, uh, an investor, you cannot look at and be biased about who is in office. You have to look at the economy. And uh, one thing that I'll have to change, and I, I, will, I said this up until, I think I still said it this time, is I did not call it job creation. I called it job replacement. Now, next month, if there's more jobs, it is really job creation because now all the jobs that we lost were now above that level. So I've been very honest with that, saying job replacement. No, because the administration, oh, we created these jobs. No, you did not. You replaced those jobs. But going forward, they will be new jobs created. Yeah, and I, I well, I will say the, the interesting thing is, and I, I, I was shocked by this. Again, we're still 540,000 lower than the than before the pandemic, but 140,000 higher in the private market. What's that mean? Oh, the government. The government. Yeah. The government has actually seen a, a large reduction in the amount of jobs, and uh, we know there was issues with teachers. And yeah. uh, a lot of the, uh, you know, kind of school positions, not just teachers, but, you know, custodians and, you know, uh, admin at the school. So that had actually reduced. But then I, I'm not sure where the other is- issues are arising in, in the government jobs. I was shocked yeah. that I, I would have thought that the government jobs would have come back before the, the yeah. private sector jobs. Yeah, I, so. I'm surprised. And that does include federal, state, mm-hmm. local, a lot, lot of different uh, uh, uh Governments there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, one thing too I want to mention to you is that if you like this information, like, gosh, that's interesting. I wish I had more information on it. Uh, along with other topics we do, we do put them in a newsletter that goes out every Friday uh, afternoon. So, if you want that newsletter with more information plus what we talked about, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Click on the page in the newsletter, sign up for it, and you'll get this every Friday. Uh, this and about usually oh eight to ten different uh, topics we put in there, and it's probably a, a quick read. We'll probably call it a three to five minute read on stuff that is, well, like we talk about here that uh, we think is helpful for investing and that makes you a smarter investor is what it does. So speaking of being a smart investor, we do have a workshop coming up on uh, Thursday, July 21st at six o'clock in Scripps Ranch. Now, this is an important time to really come to understand what is going on because, uh, you know, now you want to understand if you should keep the stocks that are down in your portfolio, should you sell them, um, how to learn what stocks should do well in a slowing economy, how to avoid losing more money in your portfolio by buying new losers that uh, you sold losers, you bought more new losers. This is what we do in the workshop. We show you how to invest properly using fundamental analysis. The workshop is free. What you have to do is you have to sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. I'd love to see you there. Again, that's Thursday, July 21st in Scripps Ranch. Uh, if you want to call the office, you can do that too, just uh, to speak with Priscilla, um, 858 546 4306. That's 858-546-4306. Again, talk to Priscilla about the workshop on July 21st, uh, Thursday at 6 o'clock. Uh, sitting is limited, so I would not delay too long. I know we're probably about halfway full uh, at this time. So, all right, phone numbers. Gosh, we're, we got no phone numbers here. Uh, nobody waiting here. We got the phone numbers. No we got callers. the phone numbers. No callers. <laughs> that's, it. that's the right way to say it. Uh, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And Chase, I know why this happens. Because when markets are up, everybody's like happy, they're excited. 
They want to call in to get confirmation that what they're doing is right. But when things are down, we do always get less calls when you should get more calls because when you really get to the work, but they don't want to talk about it because, yeah, well, sorry, uh, we're going to say, no, that's not a good one. Sell it. Like, oh, but I'm down 30%. Well, that's reality. Yeah. And, and you know, that's the thing is we don't get emotional with it. We, we just look at the valuations on the stock and, you know, I, I don't care how much I like a company. Yeah. If it's too expensive, it's too expensive. And, and that's the biggest mistake that people make is they don't maintain a philosophy. And what I mean by that is when we say something, sometimes people are like, oh, you were wrong. I knew that company <laughs> was going to go up, but they don't know why it went up. Right. And with us, just because we say it's overpriced doesn't mean it can't become more overpriced. Yeah. It can still go higher, but it doesn't fit into our value philosophy. And sticking to a philosophy, it, it makes you understand why you're doing well in the stocks that you're doing well with not just getting lucky on something and you know all of a sudden it goes up 100 percent. it's like good for you but how are you going to replicate that next time and you kind of start to get this false sense of like i know what i'm doing i'm 100 yeah. on this stock but you you try and justify in your head why you bought that stock and you try and replicate it and then the next stock does terribly that's why i don't care you, you could have done great on that stock and we said it wasn't a great stock but there was no philosophy. There was no ideology behind why you bought that. Sticking to an approach like we do with value, it, I, I truly believe it. It increases your chances of success going forward. And, and you're right because uh, on the short term, you know, six months, uh, you have as much luck doing what we do, throwing a dart at the at the board. But it, when it really comes out to what we do, it comes out two, three, four, five years down the road. That's where the discipline comes in. That's where value investing helps out. Because of fact, it, 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 short term, it doesn't matter what you do. You, you, you know, you could have a five-year-old do better than us on, on a short term because he got lucky. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the duration of investing for the longer term, that is the big difference. And that's why value investing works well. All right, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to El Cajon and speak with Joanne. Joanne, you're in the Smart Investing Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. Um, looking for something in the, in, in the um, energy field. Don't have that in my portfolio. And was noticed that Warren Buffett put a lot of money recently in Occidental Petroleum. What do you think about Oxy? Uh, that, that's a good question because I know that he did put in his portfolio. So I'm kind of curious where it stands now. And I, I know we have to mention he bought it probably at a much, much lower price than now. But uh, yeah. let, let's take a look at the numbers here for you. For Occidental Petroleum, symbol is OXY. They are in the oil and gas EP industry. We do see that there's, wow, 10.6% shares float on this uh, shorting. I, I, that surprises me since Warren Buffett owns it, that somebody is shorting against him. Uh, we do see institutional ownership is 83.5. Uh, good PE ratio, 9.2 versus 11.3. Uh, price of sales, 2 versus 2.1. Price to book value, 3.8 versus 4.8. And price of cash flow is 4.6 versus 4.7. So those valuations ratios look good because you always want them lower than the industry average. Now, the other thing we look at, too, is a peg ratio, which is your price earnings divided by growth. You want that lower. That is lower, 0.2 versus 0.9. So it says you're paying less for the growth of uh, this company. Now, over the last year, they have no growth on their earnings. Uh, we do see the sales are up 48.6%, but not quite as good as the industry, up 60.3. A five-year estimated growth of, from the analysts on their earnings of 23.5. That is double the industry at 13.6. 
They do pay a dividend. I'm, I'm kind of shocked or disappointed on this dividend. It's only 0.9%, and uh, the payout ratio is 2.3. I don't know why they don't have a higher dividend. Uh, usually your energy companies like Exxon and Chevron have higher higher dividends, but the, theirs is rather low. Got to take a look at the balance sheet here for you. Current ratio 1.2 versus 1.4. That's okay. Debt to equity 1.1 versus 0.6. It, it is higher. You want debt to equity lower, but 1.1, I'm, I'm okay with that. Net profit margin, very good. 25.3 versus 19.7. Also, return equity is 26.1 versus 22.4. So I'm, I'm liking these numbers here, but it really depends on going forward. Chase? I want to start here for Occidental. <laughs> Uh, current price is sixty dollars and sixty-seven cents. Fifty-two week high. Well, that's seventy-four dollars and four cents, and the low is twenty-one dollars and sixty-two cents. So really done well off that low. And you talk about the small dividend. Well, why is it so small? Well, part of it stocks up one hundred and ten percent year to date. So that would essentially cut that dividend <coughs> yield in half. You know, with the the improvement in the energy market, I wouldn't be surprised if they announce a dividend increase in in some form or another. And, and the other thing I was going to point out is you talked about Buffett buying it a lot lower. But I believe now, I heard yesterday, he's bought it, I think this is the third time. Oh, really? And I believe Berkshire now owns about 18% of the company. So it's a positive and also a negative because it's always great when Buffett's involved in it because it, it kind of gets that stamp of approval. But the downside is, is if all of a sudden he starts to reconsider and Berkshire starts to pull back on that investment, the stock generally falls because now it doesn't have that stamp of yeah. approval anymore. And the problem is it can take him a while to get out of it because now he owns 18%. So you're not going to know that he's out of it until like a quarter later until he reports his filings. And that could be why the high shorts, maybe. It could be, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, well, we think he may be getting out of it. So it's something to keep an eye on. And, you know, it's always, as I said, great. We've had companies where we bought before Buffett and we got that Buffett bump, which is always kind of rewarding. You're like, oh, that's, yeah. that's great. But it always kind of is in the back of my mind of what if he tries to sell this company? So that's something to keep an eye on with Occidental. I will say, though, that the numbers still going forward look, look pretty darn good because I go up to December 2023. I see estimated earnings per share of $8.24. Does give us a target sell price of $136.78. So trading at about a forward PE of about 7.4. That's nice. Couple concerns on that number though. Number one, year over year, the earnings are estimated to fall. So 2022, they're looking to make $10.57. <coughs> As I said, 2023, now it's $8.24. Again, I, I do believe that energy prices are going to remain elevated, but I, I do think they're not gonna remain at peak levels. I think you're gonna see by the end of the year and next year, a more normalized energy market that, that's not going to have you know us paying as high at the pump, that paying as high per barrel of oil. So I think that's why a lot of analysts are baking in a, a pullback in, in the, the margins for some of these energy companies. And I want to point out, too, the wide range. That of, was my second concern. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, $4.67 is the low. The high is $14.53. That tells you that no one's really confident where this going to come in. And, Joanne, it really comes down to your portfolio as well. Do you have other oil or energy investments in your portfolio? Joanne? Oh, she dropped. Oh, we dropped. Okay. Well, she, well uh, she's probably still listening. So, Joanne, <laughs> if you have no other oil or energy companies in your portfolio, then this would make sense to maybe look at adding this company, do some more research, obviously. But if you have already other companies in your portfolio has, I'll say 10%, maybe 12% uh, in, in oil already in your portfolio, I would say no, I would not be adding oxygen to the portfolio. When we were 
you know, pretty excited about energy at the end of the year last year. And then it, it went, I think, just way too far, way too fast. We kind of pulled back. We, we put them what we call our hold category and a lot of energy companies. And now I think a lot of the excitement has, has faded a little bit. But mm -hmm. I, I think Q1 earnings may reignite a lot of the excitement around the Q1. Q2, 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 yeah. Q2 earnings Q2. may reignite a lot of the excitement around it because I think they're going to have really good numbers and I think the outlook is still going to be strong. And one of the reasons, too, energy's been struggling is getting that recession ward. Yeah. People are, oh my gosh, recession. Well, that generally drags down the demand side of the equation for energy. So that's why you've seen you know gas prices or part of the reason why you've seen gas prices and oil prices pull back. If we don't have recession, you could have a problem that oil and gas could spike again here because now you, you haven't fixed the supply side. The demand side could be reignited and, and could cause some issues. And the other thing too, and people won't like this, but sometimes what happens is that the price falls uh, on, on oil, but the profit margins actually will increase because it didn't fall as quickly. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing too, is that you may think, oh, it's gonna be bad for the company. Like, well, wait a minute, they reported better earnings than last quarter, last year and so forth. That's what I have to look at. So what is the company doing profitability wise? And also too, they could have cut costs. So yeah. increase the profits. So that's what you're gonna look at. All right, phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. And before I go to Tim in San Diego, I do want to talk about the workshop. It is coming up July 21st. That's a Thursday, 6 o'clock. This is where you're going to learn all the things we talk about here on the fundamentals, on target sell prices, what you should not be doing with your portfolio, especially during this uh, difficult time in the, the markets. Uh, but you got to sign up for the workshop. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That is smartinvesting2000.com. Or call Priscilla at the office, 858 546 4306. That's 858-546-4306. Let's go back out to San Diego and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Morning, guys. I bought an energy company for the dividend a while ago. It was BHP. And recently, it seems like they acquired another company because some shares showed up to WDS. And I had two questions. One, when does it become a long-term stock where when I do sell it, the tax hit's not as high? And two, if I should hold on to it or not. All righty. Well, I'll answer the first question. That's an easy one. Uh, 12 months. Got to hold it for 12 months. 12 months. And then if they're acquired. 12 months in a day. 12 months in a day. And <laughs> if they were acquired, it's based off your acquire yeah. company. So like if you bought BHP and it became WDS, it's, it's based off of your initial purchase, I, yes. I do believe. Yes. Yeah. And check with your tax person on that. Well, it's kind of... It, it's similar to a split like that happened with AT&T and Warner Brothers. Yeah. So like it's an individual share now. Oh, so does that matter tax wise? Yeah. So you're good. If if they split and spun out a company, then it, it's based off your initial purchase yeah. of the uh, initial acquisition of the stock. That it. You got to wait uh, a little bit of time for them to kind of figure out what that is and so forth, a share account and so forth. But yeah, it is, it is based on when you initially when you invested, not when the split happened. So, all right, and, and I'm excited, too, to look at this Woodside Energy Group. Uh, they're similar to WDS. So you have this now in your portfolio. Is that what you're saying, Tim? 
Yeah, it spun off like I think I owned, I don't know, 30 or 40, probably 40 shares of the other one. It gave me 10 shares of this one. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a look at this one. Uh, they are in the oil and gas EP industry. Uh, no no short on it, no flow. And again, I think, again, because of the spinoff here, we're going to be missing some things. So I'm kind of wondering on these numbers because I do see a PE ratio here that does look, well, it <laughs> looks high, 53.5 versus 11.3. Price of sales are high, 4.8 versus 2.1. Price to book value, 1.7 versus 4.8. Price of cash flow, 9.8 versus 4.7. And a no peg ratio. Now we do see earnings were up 415%. The industry was up 684% for the past year. Sales climbed by 68%, beating the industry growth at 60.3. We do see that they do pay a 6.4% dividend using 20% of their earnings to pay that out. And we see that they have a current ratio, 1.6 versus 1.4, that's good on liquidity. Also good on the debt side, 0.5 versus 0.6. Uh, checking with a net profit margin of 27.9 versus 19.7. So I like what I'm seeing here. Oh, return on equity, 14.8 versus 22. And I would like that to have a a little bit higher, but I'm okay with 14.8. Do you have anything going forward on this one, Chase? Uh, Unfortunately, I, I don't really have much. And I know sometimes it can take some time to, to have the analysts kind of work through it. And also, too, if the, the, the spin-out did happen here recently, you may not have good data just yet in terms of what this company did in relation to the sales and earnings. So it, it may be something. I, how much of the, the portfolio does it make up, Tim? Oh, it's not very big at all. Probably like 2%, this little spinoff. Okay. Yeah, because what I look at it, and, and when we've had this happen in the past, is is we'd rather kind of be patient, wait, make sure we get good numbers before we do make a decision on it, especially being 2%. You can kind of give it a little bit of time and, and, and wait until you get actual numbers and have some analysts kind of start to look at it before you make a decision on, on, on whether you, you – sell it you hold yeah. it maybe buy more of it if it, if it looks good but uh, i i personally would be patient until you got some more info on it yeah and that can take what uh, probably about a month or two i think we had to wait last yeah. time for, for ours yeah so probably a month or two and just be patient with it and and then when you get good numbers then you can determine do i want to you know get rid of this uh actually we had it happen we actually bought more of the spinoff because the spinoff company looked pretty good so be patient wait for the good numbers and then make a decision all righty Sounds good. Sounds like I'll be calling you guys in a month or two to see what the numbers look like. We'll be here. <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. Have a good day and you, a good weekend. You too, Tim. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's, again, 833-288-0973. And before I go to Frederick or Randy, it is time to talk about financial planning. For that, I turn to our financial planner, our CFP, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. Doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, I, I like this topic because people don't understand how this really works sometimes. I'm talking about, or you're talking about, Social Security spousal versus survivor benefits. Why don't you explain what that, uh, what that is and how that works? Yeah, so yesterday I had three different people that all kind of asked about this, so I, I thought it'd be a good topic. Um, I'll start with the spousal. So as a spouse, you are entitled to up to one half of your higher earning spouse's full retirement age benefit amount. Now, that's not saying you're entitled to one half of what your spouse gets because 
if your older spouse or the, the higher earning spouse collects at 62 or 70 or any time in between, that does not impact the spousal benefit. It's still based on just one half of your default retirement age amount. So a misconception people have is, oh, I'm going to wait until 70 to get a higher amount, and that way my spouse will get half of that higher amount. And that's not true. That's not the way it works. Your, your spouse would still just get one half of what you would have gotten it if you collected at age 67. So important to understand that there. Um, so really, as a spouse, if, if you're going off that spousal benefit, you want to collect somewhere between 62 and 67, um, because waiting beyond that does not help you. Um, as a survivor, not a spouse, and now we're talking about the survivor, um, if you and your spouse have already started collecting and one of you passes, the survivor gets the higher of the two. They don't get both. They don't keep the same one. It's whoever has the higher one, they then get a step up to what that is. But if um, you have a spouse and they pass away a little bit early and you have not started collecting yet, now you have a choice to make. In this case, what's called deemed filing does not apply. Deemed filing says if you apply for benefits, you apply for everything you're entitled to, which would include your own benefit or a spousal benefit. But for a survivor benefit or a widow or widower benefit, you can choose which benefit you want to apply for and then allow the other, other benefits to grow and then switch over to those later on. So for example, on your own benefit, you can collect anywhere between age 62 and 70, but as a survivor, you can collect as early as age 60 and up to age 67. So in this case, the strategy would be to either start collecting your survivor benefit at age 60 and then allow your own benefit to grow until age 70 and then you can switch over to that at age 70 and get that higher amount. Or you can start collecting on your own benefit at age 62 and then switch over to a survivor benefit at age 67 after that's had time to grow. So this is important to understand because I, I, I see situations where there's a widow and they're waiting until a certain age and they could be collecting something now and then switching over later um, but they don't know that so they're just completely losing money so if you don't want to apply for this it's complete loss and you get nothing so really important to understand all the benefits that you have available to you um, as a widow or a widower and, and Harrison as you're talking I mean I'm listening to the detail of this and I, I, I it will say asset management you know Chase and I we do the investment part you spend the time doing the financial planning because the detail you're looking at, and I've always said this, there is no way you have these CFPs out there that they're doing the financial planning and trying doing the investing. I'm sorry, there's no way that you can do a good job of both because the detail that you get into on the financial planning side, the detail we get into on the investment side, someone will have to work 24 hours a day to <laughs> duplicate what we do here. I mean, because I'm just you know, happy that we have you to look at the detail on stuff like that in Social Security, because I think a lot of people don't understand how that works. And it's not even just other CFPs, but a lot of people, there's they don't trust a, a financial professional or they don't want to pay a fee. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, it's like you could cost yourself. I mean, Harrison, you bring up the point you start collecting on the, the spousal benefit. You could have missed 10 years of Social Security, correct? Yeah, potentially you, you could have, which, you know, the, the loss of that is huge. And that's a terrible time to lose it because you've lost a spouse and now your maybe your income is reduced. So you really want to make sure you're getting everything that you're entitled to. 
Yeah, and I will say that that's one great thing you do help with is, you know, you're really flexible with people and you work with them in the way that, that, that they need help. And it's, you know, you don't have to invest with us. It, it is a separate service. And mm-hmm. I definitely think it is something that a lot of people, as Brent always says, is come talk to you because it is it is something that uh, I don't know anybody else that does what you do here in, in uh, San Diego. Well, I haven't found somebody yet that I haven't been able to help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's because you read, you understand so much about the financial planning side, the Social Security, the cash flow, taxes, all estate planning, all these different things that you cover. That's what you spend your time doing, and you spend no time or very little time on the investment part, understand the investment part. I mean, you know what we do, but you don't, you're not spending your time kind of reading reports like we're doing. You're not following things. Your job is to put that together, a financial plan, which you, you do a very, very good job with it. And as Chase said, they don't have to be a client of Wealthy Asset Management to uh, use you for financial planning as well. So, well, Harrison, thank you very much. We'll see you on Monday. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Again, that's our financial planner. He's a CFP, Harrison Johnson. Again, I always say he's on a salary. He's not going to try to sell you annuities or life insurance. His job is to do a financial plan. If you want a free consultation with him, call him at the office, 858-546-4306. Again, that's 858-546-4306. You can go to our website. He's there as well. Send him an email if you want to. Uh, Smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting 2000 Dot com. All right, phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. As promised, let's go up to Long Beach and speak with Frederick. Frederick, you're on the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm interested in Bausch Long, B-H-C, and B-L-C-O. B-L-C-O, they spun off. And it was an IPO not too long ago. And just interested in uh, in the stock. Okay. Thanks. Uh, and, and do you hold that, Frederick, or looking to buy that? Yeah, I hold, I hold it. Hold it. Okay, yeah, because this one kind of, in, I, I kind of like this one because they're in the, the industry of medical instruments and supplies. Again, the company is Bosch & Lom, symbol is BLCO. Uh, I do see a, a shortage float here of about 8.9%. Not high, but higher than normal. And then very strange here, institutional ownership is only 0.2%. So uh, do you know, Frederick, was this is the one that was spun out recently? Yeah, BLCO was spun, uh, spun out. It was their I uh, products. Okay, yeah, 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 because I know they do the uh, contacts and stuff like that. So I, I know this company, I like this company, but I, again, the, they were kind of spin out from the other one. So this is another spinoff situation, but let's look at the numbers here for you on Bosch & Lom again, symbol BLCO. Uh, they do have a PE ratio of 32.9. That's high, but the industry is high at 34.5. Uh, we do see that price of sales 1.5 versus 4.2. Price of book value, very good, 14.7. I say that because the industry is well over 100. And then price of cash flow, 8.4 versus 23.4. Now, I don't see anything for the earnings growth, the sales growth there uh, over the last year, five years, because they've, they've been spun off. Uh, we don't, They don't pay a dividend. Take a look at the balance sheet here. you got a pretty good bi- uh, balance sheet here. A current ratio, 1.6 versus 2.7. That's good. Debt to equity, 0.3 versus 0.5. 
a net profit margin. Now, this is not good. A 3.8 versus 13.5. Could be some cost there, maybe, that brought down that uh, net profit margin there. And return to equity also not looking good. 1.3 versus 9.1. Uh, and again, uh, spinoff situation here, Chase. Any analysts watching this yet or no? Uh, yeah, I have some numbers, but okay. I'm kind of interested in it. It looks like they're headquartered in uh, Laval, Quebec, Canada. Oh. But they are the fourth largest vision care company by sales in the U.S. and the market leader in consumer vision care in India and China. I don't see anything about the Canadian market. Right. Even they're headquartered <laughs> there. So uh, they may be in the Canadian market because I, I do see they have – uh, gosh, where is it? 48% of their revenue comes from the Americas. I'm assuming just obviously North America, South America, so about half. But then 30% comes from EMEA, which is Europe, the Middle East, and I believe it's Africa there. And then 22% from Asia, Pacific countries. So they're worldwide company, which is kind of nice to have that diversified uh, revenue. Looking at the current price, though, for uh, Bausch & Lomb, it is $16.43. I see the 52-week high was $20.20. With a low was $13.17. Now, if I go out to December 2023, I do see there's already 12 analysts on this company. Earnings per share estimate, $1.07. Would give us a target sell price of $17.76. So it would be in our hold categories. It's trading at about 15.3, 15.5 times future earnings. So it's, it's not inexpensive, but it's not overpriced. So as I said, it would be a hold. Yeah, and, and also a couple of things I was looking at while you were talking about, Chase, too, uh, here, Frederick. I saw the intangible assets uh, are 62% for the company. The industry is at 38%, so they may have got a lot of intangible assets on the balance sheet, which you don't like. I also noticed, too, that the day sales outstanding are 106.5, about double the industry at 59. And, and again, it's almost fully priced anyways at 17 versus 16. Uh, I, I'm not really thinking this may be worth holding on to. I mean, it's it's if it hits 17, I'd probably say, yeah, go ahead and, and hit the sell button there. All righty? Okay. Hey, thanks a lot. All right, Frederick. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Uh, you bet. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to Kansas and speak with Randy. Randy, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brand Chase. How can we help you? Hi, guys. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, there's a little bit of stack in the background, but we can hear you okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm at work today, and I'm talking to you on the little mic on my earbuds, so I didn't know how clear that was. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I, I was going to ask you about Newell earlier, but then I heard you guys talking about Tesla and car manufacturers, and I thought, well, let's go ahead and take a look at uh, General Motors today, uh, GM. I okay. do own some of it. Do own some of it? Okay. Well, let's take yeah, a look. I've had it for a while. Okay, yeah. And we have seen that stock drop quite a bit, which is, we'll go with the numbers. It doesn't make sense. And again, we just talked about earlier in the show, too, how car companies are in so much better shape. And I, I think there's people out there like, oh, recessions are bad for car companies. Sell and get out. They're not looking at the business themselves saying, wait a minute, these businesses, these car companies are set up pretty good. So let's go to the numbers with you uh, of General Motors. Uh, their symbol is GM. Uh, there's only 2.2% float uh, short on that. So that's not bad. 83.3% uh, institutional owned. Here's the PE ratio, 5.4 <laughs> versus 17.1. Price of sales, 0.4 versus 1. Price to book value, 0.8 half the industry at 1.7. And then price of cash flow comes in at three versus 9.2. Now,
Now the peg ratio, which is your price earnings divided by growth, 1.6 was a 2.6, the lower the number, the better. So that looks good for General Motors. Here's the earnings numbers, down 30.4%, industry down 5%, sales down 6.5% versus 7.6% decline. Uh, GM has still not uh, installed their dividend. Uh, Chase, you were writing this last year. I said they're gonna install it. They have not done it yet, so I've been wrong on that dividend. <laughs> I don't think they're gonna come back with a dividend anytime I can see in the future, unless you're changing on that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I Yeah, I think perhaps I don't see it coming back yeah. this year, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. But uh, looking at the balance sheet, uh, current ratio 1.1 versus 1.8. Debt equity 1.8 versus 0.7. And again, you have to understand car companies have a lot of accounts receivables and they they uh, you know do uh, loans on their cars and so forth. That changes that. You got to kind of dig a little bit deeper to get a good debt equity number. Uh, we do see a net profit margin for GM 7.6 versus 7.3. And return on equity 14.3, just under the industry of 15.1. Chase? And one reason, too, I, I don't think they'll reissue that dividend is Mary Barr, the CEO, has talked a lot about investing in the company, investing in EVs, investing in AVs or autonomous vehicles. And right now, they, they have uh, permitting in, in San Francisco, actually, to charge people to ride in an autonomous vehicle with no, with no driver. Right. I, it's a crazy thing. The stock gets no credit for that. And, and it is going to be more expensive now to try and launch that and replicate that in different cities. So that's one reason I think they're spending a lot more money on investing in the company that doesn't leave as much cash flow to, to actually produce you know, dividends. And the other thing, too, is they have the, the Bright Drop, which is more business focused. They have right. a contract with FedEx to provide these vans that are electric vehicles as well. So I think they have a lot more kind of launch capital that they have to come up with rather than giving that back to shareholders. And I will point out that they do have $26 billion on their on their incomes or their balance sheet uh, in cash. And another thing too, normally during a recession, you're not going to have that much cash, $26 billion in cash. And as you're talking, I'm going to look at the cash flow statement and see what the cash flow is because I think they could do a dividend. But yeah, I, I'll finish these numbers yeah, here. Yeah, you finish that. Current, pri current price for GM thirty two dollars and thirty one cents. Fifty two week high was sixty seven dollars and twenty one cents, and the low was thirty dollars and thirty three cents. So it's been just I, I'm gonna say hammered this year, down forty five percent year to date. If I go forward though to December two thousand twenty three, I see the estimated earnings per share of six dollars and sixty one cents. I mean that gives a target sale price of one hundred nine dollars and seventy three cents. And before I, I used to think that auto companies they were a lot more cyclical. And that's one reason that they never traded really at a more normal type P.E. ratio. But I really do believe Mary Barr is trying to streamline this company more and, and produce reoccurring revenue. And if they are able to capitalize on that opportunity, there's no reason why this company should trade at six, seven, eight times earnings. They should have a more justified multiple around the historical average of 16.6 which would just be a phenomenal return for investors. And, and I, I was looking at the uh, cash flow statement when you were doing the numbers. Uh, what was the Ford PE that you Ford PE is uh, 4.89. Yeah, which is just uh, ludicrous. And these are not the old car companies of yesterday. Uh, the cash flow of the trailing 12 months uh, is 16 uh, billion dollars. So they're very strong on cash flow, a lot of cash there. I feel they could come back with a dividend but I also know that you're right. I mean, they are really reinvesting in the future. We also talked about too how, you know, like uh, was it uh, Lyft and, and uh, Uber, that perhaps GM, because they had the autonomous driving vehicles, could come out with their own system. Well, they have their own app. Well, they have their own app, but 
but they got to implement that in, into being another business or part of their business. So they, they could be doing that, which would really put, I think, uh, I won't say Tesla, not Tesla, but uh, um, Lyft and Uber. Yeah, Lyft and Uber. Uh, on their heels. On their heels, yeah. And, and, and they've not done very well lately. Um, but yeah, GM could take that that business. And they, again, they do have other businesses. You're talking about Bright Spot, I think. Is Bright Drop. Bright Drop, which is the kind of like the robots that move things around, which Fiddle Express is uh, using now and other companies start using. So, I mean, it's a very well-run business and I think it's still being hit as the old car company. This is not your father's car company. And, and auto sales are and I'm, gonna I didn't mean your, because yeah. that would be me, I meant <laughs> my father's. <laughs> and, and auto companies too, I mean, they're, they're just being hit right now too, because auto sales have pulled back from yeah. you know last year's levels. But a lot of that still, as you said, the supply chain issues, there's no overbuying as we were talking about yeah. earlier in the show, where they're just gonna be left with uh, you know lots full of cars. I, I, I just, I, I don't foresee any major problems with these companies. and. I, yeah, I, I think these two U.S. auto manufacturers that, that I think are undervalued have just been sold off unfairly and people have gotten out of it. And then, oh, my gosh, the stock price is falling. I'm going to sell and get out of it, too. And I, I think it's really presented some good opportunities here. You know, and we talk about things like this and, and we're very optimistic about December 31st this year. I, I, I got to be careful, choose my words wisely here that I don't get into uh, trouble with the SEC. But we're very optimistic about come the end of the year. And it's not the markets. I, I, I don't I don't believe the S and P or the Nasdaq may even be positive this year. But I believe if you invest wisely, getting smart companies that are good value, you're going to see some good returns by the end of the year. Um, but you got to know what you're doing. You got to look at the numbers. You can't just say, oh well, it's a car company, it's going to go down, or it's a tech company, it's going to go down, or this is not going to work. You've got this is a time, and this is why I'm kind of disappointed. Our line should be booked up with everybody saying, what should I be doing now? What does this look like? But as I said, people, the emotions are overtaking of investing. And I'm going to say it's people trying to time it to, well, I, I think this could be an okay time, but I think it's going to get better. And we talked about that on the show a yeah. lot last week where it's your emotions that, oh, things are bad right now, but I'm going to wait for them to get worse. And the problem is you wait for them to get worse. And then when they are worse, you wait for them to get even worse. <laughs> and this is why they got to come to the workshop. The workshop is going to be on Thursday, uh, July 21st at 6 o'clock. We're going to talk about this stuff. We're going to have a logical conversation and show you how to look at the fundamentals, how to get off that emotional roller coaster that has dis it just doesn't work when it comes to investing. And it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, and I've been doing these for, gosh, well over 20 years now. And we show you what we do and how we've been successful in managing. And, and, and now we manage a, a, about a half billion dollars um, by doing this over time. So it is a free workshop. You got to sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And again, we'll show you how to do it and also to how to not do what you're doing. You look like you're intently looking at something there. What are you looking at? You know, we, we, we didn't talk about your, your golf tournament, the charity golf tournament. Is that what you were doing? <laughs> that's what I was looking at, yeah. So, yeah, well, let's talk uh, about that because that's important. Yeah, I got like a minute here uh, or 30 seconds. But yeah, golf tournament, my, my charity Fighters Fight Foundation against for, for breast cancer. We really provide experiences for women that uh, are battling breast cancer that they can enjoy with their families and so forth. Doing our second annual golf tournament. I, I'm telling people, it's going to be a lot of fun this year. We have free tacos, free drinks. FightersFightFoundation.com. Go there, register August 13th.
Very good. We'll do that next week as yeah. well. All right. There's closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only. It should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And right there, you can sign up for the website, Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week. Have a great weekend. So amusing to think that I did all